Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down the movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Todd, who completes Wes. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Jack Rabbit Slims. Get served by Hollywood royalty at Jack Rabbit Slims. I don't hear you. Motherfucker. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's going to be pretty much like every other episode. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to And you hear me say now. what I want to say. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle once again. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, writers, actors. Um, we do all the things, and we use all that info to analyze critically films, for better or for worse. Uh, we like to just see how they tick, what makes them work or not work sometimes. Um, and, and I don't know elucidate you the viewer um give you some of our thoughts and opinions and maybe uh get a little bit better at the filmmaking process and the creative process i think you know a lot of the stuff that we do translates into a lot of other uh creative arenas uh for instance um you were in town a couple of weeks ago recording uh an album you were in studio uh working with matt noveski uh, from blue october scott garrett graham from kiona like all the heavy hitters were in the room. Your your other good buddy from I am Dyn- I am Dynamite. God, why am I suddenly blanking on his name? Um, Chris, Chris Chris Phillips. Thank you, Chris Phillips. Uh, y'all just call him Phillips, uh, which was we just uh, call him because because the, there's two guys in that band and they're both named Chris. <laughs> okay, so one's Phillips and one's Martin. So we just call them Martin and Phillips. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Uh, how was <laughs> it, man? Confusing. You were going in. You were pretty excited on our last episode, and now uh, you've done the deed. How did they go? Did it go as expected? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I won't belabor it too much. Uh, but yes, it was it was amazing. You know, I've been a musician for a long time and I've been in a lot of studios and had a lot of experiences, some good, some bad. But I got to say, I don't know if it was because the way I went into it and the attitude I had or if it was because it was just going to be that way. But it was the best experience I've ever had in a studio. And it was a week long and it was fantastic. I you came and you hung out for a couple of days. Scott was incredible um, as an engineer. And it, to see him come, I, I remember when he didn't know how to use Pro Tools and didn't know how to use a DAW at all. And then he lived with me for a little while and I had a studio. And so he would ask me, hey, can I go up and you know mess around? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And he basically taught himself. You know, I taught him a few things, but he's so good now. So good and so fast and so pro. And uh, working with Matt was fantastic. Um, and then Matt, my old bass player from Kiona, came in and he he played on a bunch of tracks. My best friend Jet, um, who has been, uh, well, my second best friend behind you, um, <laughs> he's he's been my music mentor my whole life. Came in and played guitar uh, on it, and and completely transformed the tracks. One of my great friends, Alex Navarro, came and he he scored for a quintet that we had play. Um, for I think six tracks and he he did that on his birthday it was his birthday when he did that and uh, came into town from Houston just all of my best friend Sergio came Sergio who did you know your audio for on um, on I won't let me down on your film your short film uh, he came in for a while too and it was just like how I wanted it to be get a bunch of of great people in a room that you respect uh, that respect you and what you're doing that get it and then let whatever happened happen 
and uh, but have a plan have a plan but then you know if stuff deviates that's okay don't stress out and uh i mean it was a whirlwind it was a lot of work but it wasn't any work you know because i was in the freaking studio it, like with these people and it was a beautiful studio and we got everything we needed i i just wish it wasn't over i mean it was <laughs> it was wonderful in every way shape and form and then since then that was about 2 weeks ago and since then i've spent pretty much every night going through all the tracks, comping vocals, cleaning them up, ready for mix and all that stuff. And we, we talked before the podcast. Now I got to find somebody to mix it, the right person to mix it, which is, you know, arguably the most important uh, step in the whole thing. After three years, now I got to find somebody to hand it to and say, okay, well, do something with this. You know, it's hard. It's like filming a film and then asking somebody else to edit it. It's like, whoa, that's, that's rough. But um, I know that I'll find the person and um, and it'll be great. But yeah, wonderful it, experience. It was great to have you in there, man. Is it really like that in terms of you hand it to a mixer? Can the difference be the same as drastic? Like you went in, you laid down all your tracks so that you can have a high ability uh, to to rearrange things. And so does that happen in mixing in the mixing stage where you walk in, you're like, yeah, we had like chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, you know, and now it's suddenly like, bridge chorus you know verse mm. like does that kind of yeah, stuff happen no no not that um mm. so when i say i compare it to editing because like a, what a film let's say it, a film is you know 90 minutes long on average right the person who's editing it is picking performances in scenes and maybe mm. they would move scenes around but for the for the most part you know it's a, a song is three minutes long three and a half minutes long. So any difference is heightened. Um, meaning like, oh, the guitars are featured in this second, right? We're talking about seconds here and moments and beats. And the, oh, this this snare is off by a hair, you know, like, and so it throws everything else out. Or, or you know, uh, I'm off pitch in this one moment, but it sounds great. Don't correct that you know, or like, it's all of these tiny, 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 tiny little things. And I know in film, it's that way too. But I feel like mixing is very much a, an attitude, the person's attitude who does it, right. And all of their influences come out in it. Whereas, whereas I think like an editor is supposed to be, what's your vision as a filmmaker? And what's, I'm trying to make that happen, right? Mm. I'm trying to make, and that's kind of like what the what the a mixer is supposed to do, but they're not going to like rearrange parts. But it might be, hey, we're you know what we're going to do in the chorus, we're going to bump up, we're going to bump the chorus up one BPM just to get that extra little feel, right? Or we're gonna we're gonna cut out a little bit of twelve K in the guitar so that the vocal right here in this moment or in this section can pop out, and then we'll add that right back in in the next section. Like those kinds of things change how you feel. Imagine, go back and listen to any Radiohead song after Pablo Honey. Like they all have the reason why that band is so brilliant. There's so many reasons why they're the best band ever in the history of time. But one of the best reasons is that everything has a moment and everything has a, a like a, a time to shine and it's perfect. And then it backs into the mix and goes away to allow something else. Hmm. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here because there's so much going on. I went back through and listened to all my tracks that I have and I have all these little things. I'm like, I can't hear that in my mix. You know, I think if I took it out, I would probably notice something's gone, but I can't hear that. Wow. You know? Yeah. 
is there a moment where that could shine? I don't know. Let's give it to a mixer and say, oh, the mic- this guy thinks that this is a really cool part. Let's feature that. Those kinds of things happen all the time. That's pretty yeah. cool. I will say, like, I've been in studios before. Nothing that official. Like, you, that studio was built to be a studio. All the other studios I've been in have been a bunch of home studios for sure or other kind of makeshift studios in, in, a, in a building. Um, and that's always that's always interesting. And some of those sessions I, I got to sit in on were like heavy hitter, you know, kind of people and probably no one you would know, but like Grammy award winning artists, I've got to see, you know, them, them track, but it's just, but it was always like hip hop or R and B or gospel. Um, it was never like rock and it was never like a real studio, uh, to that degree, um, that, you know, you got drum heads hanging on the wall with everyone's autographs and, platinum plaque on 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 that wall as well like that's some pretty cool stuff uh and so i was really impressed with how similar to filmmaking it is because and uh you were the director and it was interesting watching everyone interact with you uh because they were interested and i don't even know how aware you are of some of those dynamics that were happening that was so I had a lot of reasons I wanted to be in there. For one, I just wanted to hang out because you were in town. I'm like, oh, I get to go see something I don't normally get to see. But even better, I get to hang out with uh, Todd and Scott and see them in their their real art, their real craft um, at the heart of it, something they've been doing their entire lives. And so just getting to be around that was really cool. Uh, and then watching how everyone responded to you was very interesting um, because it was like, how? hey, man, <laughs> hey, I just want to try something. Check this out. And they were hanging on whether or not you liked it. And if, and if they saw a hesitation or like, and you were like, oh, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, no, no, sorry. Sorry, Mr. McFly. That was a dumb idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was stupid, stupid. God, <laughs> like, God. <gone. laughs> and in other times, whenever, you know, you light up and I was suddenly like, yeah, that's it. And you could see them feel like confidence, you know, uh, come over them. They're like, yes, okay, this is, this was the right direction to take this. And it was just really cool to see that still operates and, uh, and uh, even in music. Um, now who the director is, is kind of up in the air because in a different session, different studio, it may not be the artist, right? It may be the producer mm-hmm. who's, uh, calling those shots and, and leaning heavily. Now there's still, and that's where you get fights, right? Where the artist is disagreeing with your producer. And I'm sure fireworks ensue or whatever but that was one level that i was really interested to see and then watching how uh matt because he was your producer uh what how he was operating and things that he was listening to was very interesting to me because uh i have a music background it's definitely different from what you and scott and everyone else in that room probably went through because it was again heavily rooted in not just hip-hop and r&b but also just band um and Mm. i took band very seriously uh and I, and so I learned some things, but it's uh, interesting to walk in, even with my schleppy version of musical knowledge, taking music theory or whatever, uh, it, to walk in still, I have to assume that I still know nothing because not just in my lack of familiarity with your genre. And so y'all are throwing around references. I am not getting like, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, the Camelbacks. Yeah. You remember that, that song after <laughs> they, <laughs> like, <laughs> I have no idea who oh, y'all are great. talking about that's right great. now. Uh, but then on it. top of that, I didn't know the pre-production. I wasn't there. I didn't know what your references were, what you were uh, channeling, what the point of the song was, what arrangements were missing. And so 
I'm walking in. I remember that first day I got there, I'm sitting and listening and I'm here. So I'm hearing someone off beat and I'm like, shut the fuck up, Wes. <laughs> like, don't, you don't know what's happening. Cause you don't know if there's context that's coming that will make sense of this later. Uh, and so I just have to sit and, and so I just tried to be like a cheerleader and a bobblehead. Um, and then otherwise just, you know, uh, not say anything. And so whenever uh, someone turns around from the booth and there's like, is, is someone coming in early? And I'm suddenly like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is someone flat? Yes. Yes. Uh, and then it was interesting because then they overcorrected and they were sharp and uh, you caught that. You were like, they're sharp, right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then it, the, the more fascinating part was the stuff that I wasn't hearing that y'all were hearing. And I was suddenly like, I felt like, you know, uh, a complete outsider whenever y'all are listening to these other comps because y'all did your comps. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I get it. Like, I see what y'all are doing. Um, I don't necessarily always know. And I was hoping that Matt would elucidate a little bit more on why he was making some choices. And so I appreciated every time you were like, well, hold on. Let me just pick your brain. Why would you do that one instead of this one? And he's like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it was because it, I think it's setting up this other thing for, for later. And like, oh, OK, I get it. And so those moments were really cool. But then y'all went and did, uh, started doing the comps for Phillips, and I was lost. I was uh, I was like they're they're all listening and loving something, and I'm not hearing it at all. Uh, and so I was like, and so I had to double down. I was like, started really searching through the track, through all the pieces of it before I finally found it. And it took me a few minutes before I started consistently finding what y'all were hearing. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. I, I see him in the track now because it, he, he was singing something that was in the track from a reference or something that you're listening to. Yeah. Because he was okay. doing, he was doing your backups. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. And I just wasn't hearing where his backups were. Uh, and so gotcha. I was, it took me just a minute and I was like, they're, they're listening and to them. It's night and day, whatever he's doing is night and day. And for me, and part of that's probably y'all were there to hear him lay those tracks. Um, yeah. and I wasn't, but the other part is, uh, y'all are so familiar with what you're wanting out of it. And I just, yeah, it was really interesting because the look on y'all's faces was bliss. And I was like, I can't fucking hear it. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because yeah. I would have expected well, you might, this... you're listening to a mix. I did. So you can't really hear everything, <laughs> you know, but it was awesome. I was, uh, and there's some other things man. that were happening. I was like, man, this is really fascinating just to see, uh, the workflow. And I could see how you were rushed. You did it in a week and I could see how someone with the, you know, whatever, all the time in the world could spend that entire week on one track because oh, yeah. uh, there was this moment that happened that was really cool. Y'all were tracking the, the the some strings and you just had this sudden idea of like, man, I'm hearing something else in this track that that we don't have. Hey, can we try this? And it was really funny to watch Alex kind of go through this process uh, because I think I identified a lot with him uh, because whenever you approached him, there was this look of annoyance and he was hiding it. He was doing his best anyways <laughs> to hide it. But I think we both were able to understand like he's in a workflow, he's in a mindset and he's trying to get something right now. And suddenly that's being interrupted to try something that's completely off script. And yeah. you had to go and you're like, Hey man, uh, I'm hearing this thing. And you had already kind of talked it over with Scott and Scott was like, yeah, I think you're right, bro. Uh, pitch it, pitch it to the guy, uh, the guy <laughs> who's on your dime. <laughs> and yeah, and you do. And you're like, man, I'm hearing this thing. He's like, hold on, hold on. Oh, 
and he had to like write his vision of the song and it had to like there was this propagation like time that had to go through before he was like yeah 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 yeah. oh and then he goes in he's like give me a minute and suddenly you're hearing it and it's adding to the track and i'm like yeah that's just like film where we're on set you're trying to get a thing and then suddenly suddenly someone you know your actor comes up to you and is like hey man i was thinking maybe like you know we just set the thing on fire and you're like wait hold on man we're <laughs> trying to get the scene <laughs> and it was really cool and i could see how with time everything changes but there's something else that's happening with the compressed time this other whole thing is happening um they're both good neither are bad uh they're just their own separate things and I, it was fascinating i also took a bunch of notes just from a storytelling perspective of what's happening that with the dynamics in this room what's happening whenever someone's in the booth uh are people talking shit you know or just telling jokes uh and i could imagine being in the booth and feeling like oh they're making fun of me um and so insecurity can start to come up uh when in fact they're joking about something else entirely <laughs> like all you yeah. see are people laughing and you don't know if it's about you or not uh because sometimes it might be um it, just depending on who it is and what's happening Sometimes it's not like, uh, and a lot of times it's not, there's just funny stuff happening on a text. Like, Oh, I just got this text. You got to read this. Oh, that's hilarious. Ha ha ha. And all you see is the laughter. Um, and, and, that's yeah. interesting. I was going to ask what you were doing. Cause I know that you were writing some stuff and, and, and everything. So did, uh, did you get anything out of those notes? Yeah, it was interesting yeah. because the vibe in there was so good. Everyone was so like in love with each other. And obviously, I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, that yeah. I was I was a little disappointed. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you wanted some fucking fireworks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I, part of me was really tempted to beg Scott like, hey, could I pretend to be an intern and just uh, sit in the room for a few weeks uh, just observing everybody? Uh, because I had to Dude, throw away. He would, he would say yes. <laughs> he would. That. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He would say yes to that. And you get some stories out of that. Oh, I mean, he gets man. some characters in there. Yeah, for sure. It would be interesting just to, to see all those dynamics when things are not going well and why and over the what. Uh, because I can imagine a scenario where you go up to Alex like, hey, I want to do these stabs. And he's like, hey, man, no, it's not what this. And then suddenly it's like, well, I'm the I'm the artist. Well, I'm the composer. What now? Like, and, you know, and it could go really wrong what now. <laughs> what now? We're a stalemate. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. It could be really no, I know exactly. I know exactly that moment uh, that you're talking about with Alex. But th that's why I wanted all my friends there. Hmm. I've known Alex for since 2002. I've known him for over 20 years. So uh, we don't talk every day or anything like that. But I know him and I know what annoys him. I knew that was going to annoy him. And I knew that was going to be a he was going to need a minute. Um, and I, I gave it to him. I said, yeah, do, you know, whatever. And I backed away. But it wasn't that I wanted to replace his part. It was that mm -hmm. I was also hearing another one. Yeah. That goes well, that complements what he did. And I had already said multiple times before that I've I'm loving what you're doing. This is changing stuff in the best way. And I'm, I'm welcome all your ideas. And I think it's, it's fantastic. And when you have an atmosphere like that, where nobody feels like, and he took it well too. And I knew mm -hmm. he would, cause I, I know him, but like, and he's a professional he's a total pro. I mean, the guy, he was, um, Engelbert Humperdinck's musical director for like seven years or something. The guy is top, top tier, you know, it was, it's, and I would also have been okay 
if he would have said that's deviating too much, it's going to take too long to explain to them. I, I just think that we need to move forward. I would have also probably been okay with that, you know, but if I hadn't said anything, that's what I'm not okay with. Yeah. Because if I don't say anything and then later on in the mix or when I'm going through the tracks, I'm like, God, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this, you know, and I, and I don't have that option. Then I'm kicking myself. You know, if I said something and he pushes back, you know, I'll, I will also internally question, is this necessary and how necessary is it? Hmm. Because, because that's also, him. yeah, yeah, I totally trust him and he is a complete pro. So if he says that's not going to work because of X and Y, I'm not going to just say, oh, you're right, you're right. But I will stop and just take take a second to think, how important is this to me right now? Because I have a week with these people. Today, I have like six hours with these people. So, and I got to get six songs. So I, is it really that important where we got to stop shit for five minutes to figure this out? Probably not. If he pushes back, probably not mm. that important. And then also just to, just, and we can move on to the actual reason why we yeah. have this podcast, but um, just to say, I want to, I want to throw this out here because I've been having this feeling and I think it's really important to say, and I'm probably going to make a YouTube video about it. I have been working on this record for three years. I wasn't working on it to make a record. I was just writing stuff when I felt like writing and it just happened to take three years. It has every bit of me in it. There is no moment in this that doesn't ooze with who I am. And so for that reason, it's my favorite thing that I've ever made. And now that I'm at this ninth hour and I've, I've got everything down, tracked the vocals, tracked everything, I've got everything cleaned up and I'm ready to send it off to somebody to mix it. I'm having this feeling like it, none of it matters. I'm having this feeling like this is going to be like everything else that I've ever made and nobody's ever going to give a shit. Nobody's ever going to hear it. And I think that that's right, that nobody's ever going to give a shit. And I, I, I'm trying to remind myself, and I'm just saying this because I want people to hear it because <laughs> just because I, you make something doesn't mean that you, that you're going to feel good about putting it out in the world. I want to say that I have put everything I have into this and I still am going to put it out knowing that probably it's not going to like do anything. Probably a thousand people in this lifetime will hear it and, and that's it, but I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to find a mix a mixing engineer, pay them to do it. I'm still going to find a mastering engineer, pay them to do it. I know who I'm going to have a master it, but I'm still going to, you know, and then I'm going to put it out on, on the platforms and, and do all that, you know, but tens of like thousands of people a day release stuff. There is, it is nearly impossible to get noticed. And I'm not saying that I won't uh, necessarily, I guess, but I'm just having this feeling of like existential dread that no matter what, it's going to fall on complete deaf ears. And for music, that is the worst. That is the worst. It, um, and so I'm having this feeling and I'm just saying it out loud because I haven't said it to even my wife or anything. And we've just been talking so much about it in this podcast that I just want to say it out loud. Like I said, I didn't set out to make a record. I didn't set out to, to start playing music again, even I just wanted to make something. And so I'm just going to keep making it and I'm going to put it out and, or figure out something and, and it's just going to be out there. So Kudos, man. I think any artist listening is like, I know exactly what he's saying. Yeah. 
Uh, it sucks. The nice thing about being a filmmaker is at least I can submit it to film festivals and, um, there's a, there's a path to success there. Uh, it's long and very dim, not, not a lot of lighting, but it's there. Uh, not aware of anything that exists for music. Like, uh, your best case scenario is probably to be featured in a movie (laughs) or or a TV show, um, that then has people Googling your stuff. And now it's like, Oh, and suddenly you're whatever Kate Bush again. Yeah. And yeah. And so damn. Yeah. Dude, that's really cool. Hey. I, I appreciate that because I I same thing, man. I get that feeling every piece I make, it's uh yeah, with the faintest hope. But mm-hmm. that's a really cool thing to to say out loud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I'm you know, I'm not trying to be famous with it either. I don't want I wouldn't even if that would happen, I don't necessarily want that. I just, you know, want it to not like like do like everything else that I've ever made, which is, you know, nobody, it doesn't get the recognition that I think it deserves. And I, I'm being honest that I think that the stuff that I've made over the last, at least couple of years, like my last album, I went back and listened to it recently with Kiona. It's great. It's a great album. It's real. It's really good album. And we put everything we had into that and it, you know, hasn't done anything for us. And that's fine. I guess, you know, I guess, but I, I don't want that for this. I want something bigger. I want it to touch more people. That's the thing. I want more people to hear it because I think that I'm, I, have, I have something to say more so than any other time. Wow. And and um, so hopefully it'll find some legs and and reach some people and 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 help people. You know, who knows? I think knows? it will. Listening to it, man, I was really impressed with everything you're making. And thanks, bro. Yeah, if I'm a betting man, I'm betting on you. Thanks, man. Same. Same with you. <laughs> with that, what film are we doing? We are going to, today we are covering Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Beautiful rom-com. Yeah. We like spend 45 minutes talking about emotional stuff. Uh, if you haven't seen Jerry Maguire, please pause this episode. Go watch it. Uh, I believe it is streaming on uh, Netflix because um, we're going to spoil a bunch of stuff. Yeah, we'll we'll spoil some things. We'll look at some of the story and writing, uh, using audience expectations against them. Some of the cinematography, so, traditional lighting and whatnot, uh, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. When a sports agent has a moral epiphany, he puts his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him. Written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Cinematography by Janus Kaminsky. Sure. <laughs> Featuring Tom Cruise as Jerry Maguire, Cuba Gooding Jr. as Rod Tidwell, Renee Zellweger as Dorothy, Regina King as Marcy, and Jonathan Lipnicki as Ray. Well, I don't need you to stick. What do you want? I don't know. My soul or something? Well, why not? I deserve that. What if I'm not built that way? I think we made a mistake. Listen, what if it's true? great at friendship bad at intimacy i mean come on it's the theme of my bachelor film for god's sake i know i watched it i sort of know it by heart i don't like to give up please jerry my need to make the best of things and your need to be responsible If one of us doesn't say something about it now, we could lose 10 years being polite. 
Let's just call this next road trip what it really is. A nice long break. What about Ray? Well, you'll be friends. Of course you'll be friends. I'll take him to the zoo. So this break is a break up. That's... Come on, Jerry. You know this isn't easy for me. On the surface, everything looks fine. I've got this great guy. And he loves my kid. And he sure does like me a lot. And I can't live like that. It's not how I'm built. She's got a secret everything you want. So... Todd, when this came out, uh, wherever, uh, 1996, this was a monster hit. Like it permeated all of pop culture on every level. Uh, and so since then it's hard to not hear a show me the money reference. Literally yesterday I saw that reference like on a text thread. Um, someone was making a joke and I was like, God, would you believe tomorrow we're actually doing that episode? And it just forever, right? In fact, the very first intro I wrote for our show was You Complete Me, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm curious, one, how did you feel about it back then? Um, and how does it sit with you today? Uh, I mean, I think, I, you know, back then I, I liked it just because everybody liked it, uh, you know, and <laughs> yeah. it was just kind of like, there were two and watching it again, I'm like, man, that was a pop reference. That was a pop reference. The help me help you. You complete me. Yeah. Show me the money. Obviously there's so many just one liners that, you know, but, uh, and watching it now, what I look, what I look at now is watching Tom Cruise and Cuba Gooding Jr. Just put on a freaking masterclass. I mean, and Zellweger too, like, a absolute masterclass in delicate yet pointed performances. You know, I mean, look, Tom Cruise, uh, I think he's great at action and we love all the mission impossible stuff. And we love all of the, uh, um, all the action packed films that he does. But I think this one more than any other film that I can think of that he's done is just, it's so nuanced and delicate in all, and the way he the way he interacts with um, with Dorothy, the way he interacts with Ray, and then the way he interacts with Cuba's character, I forget his name. It's it's all different, and yet is all his character, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's such a. It's really important when he's sitting on the couch and he's talking to Ray. He's still Jerry. You know, he very much still is Jerry and he forgets that at points and he's and then he realizes, oh, I'm talking to a a four year old. OK, OK, cool. Yeah. The human head weighs eight pounds. Right. Um, which that's another reference, too. Yeah. So 
I think the writing is still super strong. I think, you know, there are some moments that are that date it a little bit, but for the most part, I can put those aside knowing how old this film is and I can just watch it for what it is, which is just, you know, like a, a story about a, a guy who wants something but doesn't know how to be that thing in order to get that that he wants and and learning what's you think he learns what's really important at the beginning of the film but then he really hmm. learns later on and i think that 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 just goes to that's another good thing about it is that it keeps telling you that you know what's important to you changes over time you're not just oh i'm one way and then i realize oh no this is how i'm supposed to be and now i'm this way forever that's not how it works and in fact his character goes through he has the epiphany at the beginning which by the way i think it's awesome he identifies i am a jackass and all i've been cared about is money and i don't even care about people and and now i want to be different and that happens right at the beginning and you're like oh okay so already immediately he has depth to him he's thinking about something else he's trying to change he can't it's hard for him to do it but but you know it, we start off strong and then um He's still himself. He still cares about money, obviously, and and he wants to be successful. But event eventually, he he for, it's for he's forced to embrace the thing he wrote the 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 document he wrote, and he's trying to make the best of it. And but then he grows into something else too. So he has like two epiphanies in this film, and I think that that's really great. Mm-hmm. And he's a fantastic actor. Ray was perfect in it. Zellweger was perfect in it. I think it's really delicate film. I'm really glad you picked that scene. Mm. That scene hit me hard, real hard. And I think it's, it's a universal conversation that if you've never had, man, congratulations to you, (laughs) you know, that that, that's never happened. Um, But it's, it's the way that they do it is fantastic. They, the timing of it is really great because a lot of times those conversations like in real life could be very long. Mm. You know, people dance around things that they want to say or they say something and somebody else needs a minute to digest it, like a literal minute or longer. And, you know, so anyway, that scene was is probably my favorite scene in the entire film, honestly. And I also tried to watch it with with the idea in mind of like those iconic moments not being cheesy. You know, the you complete me line. I mean, that's a loaded gun line. You know, because earlier in this in the film, the the sign language, the people who were speaking sign language, that's what they said to each other. Or the guy said to her, "You complete me." So they bring it back around full circle, or Cameron did, um, and then and a few others too. So I, and I'm I realized that, and I didn't realize that the first time that oh that was from earlier in the film when she leaves with him. And uh, anyway, I really enjoyed it, yeah. loved every minute of it. It hooked me right at the beginning. Tom Cruise is brilliant; he's just brilliant. And no, nothing, nothing he does is bad. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I think this, I think for the same reasons in terms of whenever it first came out, I basically liked it because everyone else liked it. And it's fun. It's a really fun movie. One of the things about this is it hits all the demographics. So like it's the perfect date night film. Uh, it's got sports. It's got comedy. It's got romance. Everyone's going to get something out of this movie. And so marketing wise, it's a absolute surefire hit um and i think though i've never like i have a a good friend my friend juan who was like for years and it still might be the case that this was his favorite movie and i've never understood it i've never understood 
the that level of appeal because the romance is so the weakest part of this film not in terms of them individually because like you said zoeger is putting on a clinic but there's something i don't know half-hearted in the resolution of it and uh, i want to interrogate that a little bit more um in a, uh, a little while but it's still i mean i watched it twice i watched it this morning and i was like man it sings like it's easy to watch. It's easy to get emotionally invested in it. Uh, it's easy to laugh when it, when it's time to laugh. And there's nothing that's difficult about this movie to, to engage with. Even some of the music is pr- appropriately timed. Like uh, he, he waits in that scene we just played. He waits until the end uh, before he starts cueing the music. And now you can get that minute. You can have that minute where they're processing. And you don't feel, you don't feel the minute. Um, because the music starts to carry you into the emotions that they're experiencing. And it's, yeah. And so I, I, I can always watch this movie. I feel like if it's ever on, I'm not going to have a hard time sitting down and like engaging with it, but there is something else going on under, underneath the skin that I'm, I've been always trying to put my finger on like, why also do I not feel very overjoyed for them at the same time? Yeah. Uh, there is this, element of settling that's happening and and i do want to uh poke at that a little bit before i start running down that because i i definitely am going to want your thoughts on that uh i have just a couple of very simple cinematography notes which is uh the first lots of three-point lighting in this thing uh this is so <laughs> traditional <laughs> yes. like, yeah not a hundred percent but like 80 percent of this there's yeah. a nice little kicker in the back that gives you a nice little rim light um some some fill and you know nice key light like it's super traditional um and that's that's also janice kaminsky uh however you pronounce it Giannis maybe um he does a lot of spielberg's work ever since i think uh slocum left um and so he's lit every single one of spielberg's films since then uh to this day i'm pretty sure but and he's just a traditional guy like if you watch most of spielberg stuff Still often a lot of three-point lighting technique and all that. Personally, that's just not my taste. But it, there is a, a charm to it, especially whenever you're watching an older film like this. It's like, oh, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's... Uh, that's how they used to do it 25 years ago. That's right. And you know what? That's a movie. It's a movie-looking movie. You know? It's <laughs> <laughs> a movie-looking movie. <laughs> uh, can I use that? You may. Uh, remember that when we get back to recommendations because uh, yeah. that'll make more sense, I think. But the other cinematography thing I noticed they kept doing, not the entire film, but certainly around her house and with her, a heavy level, is uh, the filters. They're throwing on probably pro mist filters, maybe some stockings underneath the, the lens. And it's this filter that blooms the highlights, right? It creates this kind of dreamy, hazy, romantic um, glow to everything, uh, to the highlights in particular. And so you get that feel whenever you're watching them and it just feels oh so dreamy. And of course you have uh, Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. So there's a lot to be dreamy about on screen and it, and it, it's nice. It works. Uh, I don't know that I'm ever drawn to doing that kind of effect myself, but well crafted, you know, it can put you in the mood or whatever. It can suck you into uh, the atmosphere that they're creating on, on, on scene, uh, on screen. And so, yeah, story and writing wise though, let's look at some of the stuff. And first off, why does this movie work? And to me, it's not necessarily because of the writing though. There is some very nicely written moments. Uh, I don't want to say Cameron Crowe did a bad job writing and directing. That's not, 
at all what I'm trying to say. Because uh, look at a moment like they're at dinner, that that dinner they go out on their 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 first date, uh, even though it's not technically starting as a date. It's this very nebulous uh, middle nothing that they're they're starting in, um, and they're at the table, and Jerry's talking about his ex fiance, and and then she starts talking about her ex, uh, and it's like she suddenly remembers what her sister told her before she went, and she's and it's such good advice. She's like don't let him make you his uh, shoulder to cry on, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's listening to that and he starts asking about her, her, her ex. Uh, and she looks at him. She says, Jerry long beat. She's like, what? Let's not tell our sad stories. Oh, great. It's this sonic boom that she kind of levels silently. Um, and it's so perfect. I love it so much because it gives her ambition in the relationship. Because if she lets that continue, she's no longer uh, qualifying as a romantic interest. But it also lets her gently stand up for herself in a way that honors her character. Because her character isn't the obnoxious, like, put, you know, rub your face in it kind of character. She is gentle. She is a kind, loving person. This is one of the things that we love about her. And we'll certainly be coming back to that. Uh, But it's a really well-written moment for all those reasons. Uh, It gives her agency um, and also gives her... Uh, a motive and ambition. It's not just I'm saying it to say it. It's because she also wants something out of this relationship. Uh, and so in every way, she has a really nicely written character. And I think that moment is just a very good, uh, strongly written moment in ways that I, you don't suspect on, on its face. And I think why this movie works is because it's an actor's film. Man, I, it was funny listening to you talk about it because I was like, it's like we're looking at the same notes. Uh, we're seeing the exact same movie because all the emotion is delivered by the performances. Very little, I think, is crafted in the writing or story structure. To your point, uh, it opens very strong and it gives him a very strong moment. And again, we'll be coming back to that. Uh, but for the most part, it's actors putting on clinics like Renee Zellweger carries the romance on her back, right? Her delicate performance breaks your heart and is making us hope to see it taken care of. Like we don't want to see her heart broken. We want to see her, uh, you know, loved and see, you know, all her sacrifice honored and paid for. Um, and then Cuba Gooden Jr. is carrying the comedy brilliantly. Like I love, oh, there's this little phone call that happens uh, between him and Ray, right? Uh, uh, Rod calls uh, uh, Jerry and the little kid, Ray, picks up the phone and Rod just starts yelling, right? He's just off on a tangent <laughs> from the get-go. Uh, and it's so good because uh, he, Ray never passes the phone. He just starts talking to him. And Rod takes it seriously. He plays it to the bone. He's like, well, no, this is what I'm going to tell you, blah, blah, blah. And Ray's <laughs> like, okay, I got to go now. And he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, it, it, it's nice talking to you he's like talking is only a primitive form of communication like he's trying to get, <laughs> he's trying to get his points in and it's so earnest you know and i love it he plays it in fact uh one of my favorite sequences from the film is when i love what you said like jeremy uh tom cruise who is just inhabits jeremy mcguire I, I can't really see tom cruise sometimes uh which is the best honor uh but uh tom cruise and, and cuba are are in the sequence at the airport towards the beginning whenever uh jerry mcguire loses kush what are you doing with me rod what could you even see i'm finished i am fucked 24 hours ago man it was hot now, 
I'm a cautionary tale. Choose jacket I'm wearing. You like it? Because I don't really need it. Because I'm cloaked in failure. I lost the number one draft pick the night before the draft. Why? Let's recap. Because a hockey player's kid made me feel like a superficial jerk. I had two slices of bad pizza, went to bed, and grew a conscience. Well, boo fucking who? Oh, I got a shelf life of 10 years tops. My next contract has got to bring me the dollars that'll last me and mine a very long time. Shit, I'm out of this sport in five years. What's my family going to live on? Huh? Don't you get me? So I don't want to hear your shit, Jerry. I don't want to hear your nah, nah, nah. I lost Kush Avery and shit. Have another drink, please. All right. Anybody else would have left you by now. But I'm sticking with you. I said I would. And if I got to ride your ass like Zorro, you're going to show me the money. You're going to show me the money. Shit. We together on this. You know what I'm saying? We're going to be one. Uh, the both of them. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. Oh, both of them are just hitting on all cylinders. Like, it's it's magic. And it's I just can't see how that would have been written. Like, you can write it to some extent, but you are heavily relying on your cast to produce the magic. Cuba Gooding won an Oscar for Best Supporting. Like, and rightly so. And uh, he went for it on stage. I think that's a famous... I, I think he does a famous. flip, right? Was that what it was? He did a, he did a flip or like a... Oh, know. something like that. Yeah. yeah. He did a count to six on, on the stage or something. But yeah, like you just, there's only so much you can write. Uh, and he, he gave them enough and they just went for it. Um, and they're both playing it to the absolute bone. Even uh, Tom Cruise, right, is playing his failure up in a way that is true to his character. Like at the start of that scene, right, sequence, right? He's, he's like, what are you doing with me? You know, I'm cloaked yeah. in failure. Like it's, it's failure. The way he delivers that <laughs> yeah, is so good. So good. Uh, yeah. And it's just amazing acting they're playing jazz they're uh, they're, they're they're living out their characters uh to the maximum uh same thing i mean jonathan lipnicki as uh ray kid talent is such i mean to quote cameron crow here like it's it's popcorn in the in the bag right it, it might pop it may not like you don't know and and having kids on set that's a roll of the dice and it looked like lipnicki showed up on set every day ready and just was absolutely amazing. And as a character for this film, he's absolutely adorable. He's infectious. Like if he's smiling, you're smiling. Um, you have to love this kid or you may be like a sociopath. And like there's, there's no <laughs> middle ground. Um, this is the sociopath like Turing test or something. And then Regina King like is bringing so much and she's, barely on, on in the film for like probably 15 minutes tops um, but you remember her you feel her presence her on the phone with jerry whenever rod is down in the field is incredibly emotional heartbreaking adds so much weight to the scene while we're waiting to see if rod is okay without her that scene doesn't sing it doesn't make sense uh, but with her and her family at at the house and her falling apart it's it's magic. Like you get pulled in, you're, you're on the verge of tears. You're, you're seeing life through her eyes 
And then you have Tom Cruise, who's playing, you know, quote unquote, the straight man, right? Uh, his malleable performance allows all these actors to sing um, because he does shift and it's honorable to his character to shift according to who he's in the room with. When he's with Rod, he's a salesman. You know, when he's with Cush, he's still like the salesman. And, and the way he's acting with Rod before and after he loses Cush two completely different characters, but still the same guy. Um, the way he acts with uh, uh, Dorothy, like is he's there and he's trying his best to be there, but you also see the light click on when Ray enters the room. Like it's just absolutely an actor's uh, film. And it doesn't work without all these actors. Like maybe you could swap them out and have a pretty good film, but it's going to be a completely different film uh, with completely different interpretations. Uh, maybe show me the money isn't a thing without Cuba Gooden Jr. I don't know. I don't, I, I doubt it. You know, I, I'm, I feel like he's the only one that's bringing that to life in the way that he did. Yeah. And writing wise also um, there, the love interest is a very kind of, easy swing this is t-ball kind of stuff uh for a writer to do because there's two different women as love interests right you have his fiance who is hot trash right she's easy to hate um, which makes it very easy to root for dorothy uh because his ex-fiance is mean she's cold even their sex is disconnected and unemotional you can see him he just had sex and it looked like he got through with uh, running a bleachers or something, a marathon. It did not look enjoyable at all. Um, and sounds uh, pretty enjoyable though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you describe it like that. Right. Anyway. And by contrast, you have Dorothy who is amazing, right? She's kind. She reads deeply into people, loves her kid. Of course, their sex is personal. It's emotional. Um, it, which is funny because with them, we don't we don't see any sense of nudity, uh, whereas with uh, his his fiance, like it's very like lewd. Uh, and there's it's so interesting if you look at the way he does nudity and sex in this versus Vanilla Sky. Uh, they're both doing very interesting and similar, but polar opposite things. Um, and with this, like it's so much more intimate, despite there being absolutely no nudity. Uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, she's sympathetic, right? She's discarded and unappreciated. Uh, and it just makes you kind of throw your hands at the sky. Why, God, why can't this uh, beautiful, charming, loving woman find love? Like, uh, and she lands in the middle of the divorcee, you know, get together. Uh, it just feels all wrong. And my question is then, does Jerry ever earn her? And my, my, my instinct is no. But we love her and are rooting for him. Therefore, ergo, hence, uh, them ending up together satisfies our expectations, even though emotionally it's false. Like the story structure, the writing never justifies it. Instead, we just kind of get emotionally manipulated into wanting it. And therefore, when they achieve it, we're glad, we're satisfied because that's what you want in a movie. And that's what I mean by using audience expectations against us. Like we signed up for a romance, damn it. You're going to give us a romance. And if they end up not together, you're just, you feel kind of, you know, like uh, wronged. <laughs> like you, 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 yeah. didn't, you didn't serve us properly. And so Jerry can't be alone, right? He's bad at intimacy. That's uh, echoed throughout the entire film, belabored even. And therefore Jerry is never alone. We never see him alone. Even at the end, whenever he breaks up uh, or she breaks up with him, 
he's not alone for even 24 hours before he goes back to Dorothy. Like at no point, I think that's the only way you could have earned it is to actually see him be alone and actually see him come to terms with himself. Uh, maybe. And I, I will give some opportunity for, for, you know, disagreement here. But uh, the, the, I think the idea that he's trying to get across is at the beginning, he's telling the, the engagement story. Uh, and he's like, I'm not big on, you know, grand gestures, I think is what he says. Um, and here we are. And then at the end, uh, it resolves his issues through the grand gesture, I think that's the idea, right? Is this, is this his version of intimacy where it's him standing in his own personal spotlight that we've seen all the athletes kind of take up. And now he's got an audience. He's in the spotlight. He's on the stage uh, confessing his love for his wife. <laughs> like, uh, so it's for me, like stepping back and analyzing, why do I not feel great about them ending up together? Instead, I just feel kind of good. And it's, I think because of that, it's because, you know, he never really earns it. He never analyzes himself, but uh, we'll, we'll come back to this. I want to first look at some of the tidbits uh, that are underneath the writing because uh, we look at the first date with Jerry and Dorothy, and this is when they're getting ready to leave and Ray asks for a hug, right? And he gives Jerry a kiss and uh, this melts Dorothy and stirs our emotions because we see her getting emotional. We're like addicted to everything Renee Zellweger is doing here uh, and everything that Ray is doing. And so you're also kind of seeing Jerry, it just kind of bounces off of him. Um, instead, he's like, okay, ready to go. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, but the impact on uh, that we're imagining it's having on Ray through uh, Dorothy's emotions, like it's big. And to me, I'm looking back and I'm like, I'm also wondering, is this a bit manipulative, right? Has Jerry really earned Ray's love? And eh, maybe, maybe not. We've seen some moments of them together, but I don't know that Jerry's ever done anything to earn that kind of love and appreciation. Um, I guess just for existing, but I don't know that that works outside of real life. Like, uh, yeah, your, your kids love you because your dad, uh, fine. I'll concede that, <laughs> but there's also years that y'all spent together. Um, and along the way you've done some things, uh, to, to earn that in the film. I don't know that that's really earned instead. It's very reliant on the chemistry between your cast, which is fine. Like, I don't think that's the wrong way to go. I just think in the writing, if I'm asking myself, why is everything not completely fitting together? This is one of those reasons that there's just manipulation written into it instead of necessarily earned through the story structure and the beats mm -hmm. on a, just so that I make sure I'm not stripping this thing completely bare. Uh, there are some really nice scenes that there's an efficient scene that I really, really liked, um, which was Jerry needs money. They, this is after that scene where Dorothy kind of, throws a hook at uh, Marcy and Rod where she's like, he's broke, 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 broke. And they're like, oh, oh well, okay, maybe we'll step off the gas a little bit. Uh, and we cut to they're on that commercial, right? With, with the camel, it's cars or something. And uh, he's wearing this turban and it's just, you know, it's silly, right? It's comedy. Uh, and then he's like, Jerry's like, no, you know what? This is beneath you. Let's go. And I love that. It reinforces Jerry's principle of choosing his client over money, better relations. Let's let's really believe in our guys. It's reinforcing that. And it also gives a chance for Rod and Jerry to uh, connect and build their friendship, right? He starts asking for advice like, hey, man, I'm dating a single mom. What do you think about that? And he's like, whoa, I, I come from a single mom uh, household. And so you're tread lightly, my friend. And they have an honest conversation that builds to later. 
it's a really efficient way to kind of build character depth. And this movie is very efficient. I want to point out because uh, you think that we have to see an entire relationship come together and fail with the fiance. Um, we also got to see another relationship come together and fail and then come back together. And then we also got to see a career kind of get made. Uh, the whole sequence of Rod getting knocked out, you have to build in a lot of time for that because it can't just be, we cut to the football game and he catches and falls and it's like, Oh no, you got to build into it. This is Monday night football. This, this, this matters in the context of this character's goals. And um, we need to see why this game in particular matters uh, because one, you're going against uh, the Dallas Cowboys who in the mid nineties ruled everything. They would be T-Rexes on the Jurassic park field. Um, they won three Super Bowls out of five years and uh, were making a bid for a new one. Blah, blah, blah. They had, you know, the big three, Aikman, Irvin, uh, uh, Emmett Smith. Uh, they just were incredible. And so you have to kind of start building up. Why does this game matter? And everyone in 1996 would have understood that all implicitly. But you then need to spend time in the game, uh, behind the scenes of the game, before you can finally get to him getting hit and then have time for that. You got to really let that breathe to let it build as a, a potential problem, right? This could end his career, which bankrupts Jerry and hurts this guy that we've come to really like, even though he's a pain in the ass. Uh, and so that all takes a ton of time. And then to resolve it like that and to do all that in just this one section of the film and under 220 uh, is pretty impressive. He's doing a lot here with the time he's given. And so uh, this is a very efficiently made movie for sure. The the one thing that there's a promise that's never fulfilled uh, is the zoo. There's this whole thing built up with with the zoo. With yeah, my dad took me. To I the thought zoo. they Let's went at to... the end. That's the thing. They fulfill it off screen. We never see them go to the zoo. Instead, oh, it's like, yeah. hey, what'd you think of the zoo? It's like, oh yeah. Hey, what did you think of that bad guy we we knocked out? You know, uh, in between scenes, <laughs> like, oh, it was great. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, uh, I want to see. I want to see this little kid at the zoo. He's always been talking <laughs> yeah, about. That's true. Okay, I see. So your expectations weren't met because you didn't go to get to go to the zoo. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Um, but this whole film, I think, creates a semblance of completeness. Right. Uh, we open on a hockey player that gives Jerry his wake up call. He's concussed. He has a wife and kid. Does all of this sound, you know, familiar? And then Jerry to it is completely indifferent. Right. He walks out of that room and he's like, you know, uh, you know, no one could keep your not all VR super trooper power rangers could keep your dad away from the hockey or whatever. It's like uh, F you, buddy. And then that's his wake up call. Right. At the end of the film. It's reflected to a large degree. Rod is on the ground. He's unconscious. Jerry's on the phone with Rod's family, but now he's worried. And the results, uh, this results in him realizing that he needs Dorothy uh, for some reason. That's not particularly, it's basically he sees the, uh, let me say it this way. The first wake up call is very, very clear. He's insensitive and he needs to change. And it's reflected. It's perfectly built in with the interaction with the kid. The last wake-up call is a little bit more invisible. He races home to resolve the story after seeing Rod talking to Marcy, and he's like, I can't call my wife. Like, that's not a very strong push and pull. Um, instead, it's him running uh, through an airport. And But there's no real test that shows he's capable of loving Dorothy because the whole problem up to this point is he's not able to be alone by himself. Therefore, he reaches out for connection. And I think that's the real test that we never got to have. Instead, 
it's lightly peppered in with this idea of him being intimate um, in front of a group of strangers. And I just don't know that that emotionally feels like it's fulfilling the bigger issue of him being by himself. I think the one argument you could make, in my estimation anyway, is the idea is he is incomplete. And that's why he needs her. And that's the whole, you complete me. It's like, okay, yeah, fine. I can't be alone. That's because I need you. Um, and I need you because I love you. And that's the part that I don't buy is that he loves her. I don't know that that's true. Um, I know that she loves him uh, through her actions, right? She left uh, her job and she refused to go seek a, another job. Like she stood by him through thick and thin and her love was tested all along the way. So it was never just words. I don't know that his love was ever tested in a way that let us see very clearly that he loves her. And so it feels like they're both kind of settling for a lesser love, except the fact that it's an emotionally competent scene. Like the, the performances are what make it believable for me. And I think that's why this movie works. It's not because it's written in a way that uh, the characters really are tested and find the resolution through each other. Instead, they're tested in their acting and the acting is so freaking good. I want to believe it and therefore I do and therefore it works mm -hmm. and therefore I like it. <laughs> I fully agree. And it, but it, it's also hard to because I kind of felt that way, too. And then also felt that way, like when when he what's Cuba's character's name? Rod, I forget. Rod. Rod well. Thank you. Yeah. When Rod gets hurt. Mm. Right. So, you know, he's standing there. He and. Uh, Jerry's standing there and he calls Rod's wife, right? Uh, and I mean, so I'm just analyzing this because he calls her his wife, which he didn't have to do. He didn't have to call him, call her. So that's that's a good thing. But also, you know, if if Rod gets hurt, he gets no money. So it's really hard to, you know, to you just kind of understand he's different and he, and because they've had this relationship the whole film you can't imagine him being concerned about the money right now yeah you know you just can't, you just can't he's not that guy anymore to you right but there's is this element that's just there yeah that's kind of like is it about the money it's not right it's not about the money right so i i don't know yeah. but yeah i get i get what you're saying yeah agreed yeah i mean yeah. it's it's there. Maybe it's just an execution thing as far as writing goes. But um, yeah, that said, uh, I mean, that's pretty much all I got. I think yeah. I, I, I'm probably always going to enjoy spending time with Tom Cruise and certainly Renee Zellweger. Kuba Gooden is hit or miss. That's more based around, I think, his projects. But Tom, I think, in this era was still firing dramatically uh, on, on, on his best level, because at a certain point, maybe like 10 years after this, it, he started getting a little bit more robotic. And so it's like, you needed a director. His best performances have come through directors stepping in, I think, and saying, Hey, let's get X, Y, Z, or the character is just naturally a part of his understanding that, uh, he doesn't necessarily need to do a lot in order to channel it. But there's just so many times where I see him kind of going through the motions in terms of his physicality, his looks. He's, he's, he, he knows how to channel a certain idea, and he does it the same way. It's like his running. He's become incredibly good technically at running. I've heard you talk about that before. And 
I think some of his uh, performance ideas are the same thing where he can get a little uh, locked in to expressing himself in a very specific way and giving a very specific look. And it's like, oh, man, uh, we need some we need a director to step in and like shake you up and say, no, you're not doing that today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. But regardless, I mean, um, yeah, this is this is fun. And this is one of the last best films Cameron Crowe's done. Uh, he did a couple after this, Almost Famous and Vanilla Sky, uh, which were fantastic. And after that, it started to be like, where did Cameron Crowe go? What is he? What's he doing? Yeah. I think it's an addiction to make a Jerry Maguire and to have the entire country like lose their minds over it and become just this pop culture phenomenon. And mm. then you kind of want that again. And it's a it's a taste of, you know, a smash hit on the radio that you're like, oh. Just one more time, please. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess, but I'm, I don't know, maybe because I just love Radiohead so much. They're a great example of the opposite of that. Like, okay, yeah, we'll give you Pablo Honey and you can have uh, a creep. Yeah, sure. We're never going to play it at any show ever. <laughs> and we're going to give you OK Computer next. And then we're going to give you the, or the Benz next. And then we're going to give you OK Computer. And then Amnesiac. And then Kid A. And you're like, where the hell is all this coming from? And yet it's freaking great. You know, I think that Cameron, Cameron is a great writer. Like, solid writer, great director. You know, you don't need to make another Jerry Maguire. You already did that. Do something else. You yeah. know, like Vanilla Sky. Like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? That is a perfect thing. You make a Jerry Maguire so everybody thinks that you're awesome, and then you make the good stuff. Yeah. Like, like, and by good, I don't mean that Jerry Maguire is bad. I mean like the subs, the substance. You know, the stuff, the stuff with meat on it that like that people are gonna take to sleep with them. Yeah. You know, they're gonna wake up with that in their head. With with, I mean the with uh what is it national anthem or something uh, that that plays the that Radiohead is in that movie like. Yeah, like it's so good. It's so good. And it's perfectly placed. I forget. It's not National Anthem. It's everything in its right place. Mm. Where he wakes up, he gets out of bed, he looks in the mirror, and he pulls the one gray hair out of his head. (laughs) Everything in its right place. It's perfect. Perfect. (laughs) You know? How did you so like that was a great marriage, you know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Cameron, you're 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 the stuff, man. Yeah, exactly. I, I would love to see him return to something more gritty and um intimate and yeah, less aloha, we bought a zoo, more yeah, uh, vanilla sky, almost famous. Like give yeah. Just return to that. How did you feel about Kush doing a little nirvana there at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> when he's playing on uh, the, Oh yeah, that was great because uh, that song, I mean, that's like the only song you probably could have gotten away with. with. I thought it was great. It's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts. Uh, I loved it. I I think it was a great popcorn movie. You know, there might be a a few feelings that like you talked about. I think you put it in a perfect way, perfect light, but I could, I could sit down, like you said, and and spend time with Tom Cruise any day and Renee Zellweger, of course, you know, and Cuba. I mean, that was yeah, just a great performance film, I would say. It's good and it's fun. And there's a lot of twists and a lot of turns and it moved. The pacing was the pacing was perfect. Yeah. In this movie. I mean, you want you want an example of perfect pacing. This is a great example. Like like you said, so much stuff had to happen 
Um, and it did. And none of it felt belabored. None mm-hmm. of it felt like it could be cut or should be. None of it felt like it was too short. It, it was just, it was yeah, great. Yeah. That, that's it, the man. crazy thing is like, if anything, I would probably add 10 minutes. Like, yeah, give me, t- there you give, go. Me, give me 10 minutes yeah. of Look at whatever. You. Yeah. I, I, I know. I've never said, said that, that on right. this podcast. <laughs> Wow. There's one scene that I found really, really entertaining um, and just perfect, which was right before she goes into labor, Marcy, they're all having like, I don't know, some seafood thing where they're cracking crabs. Or oh, something. yes. And she starts talking about how uh, she went to the movies and she was, she went to go see a black film. And then uh, all the previews were full of, you know, other black films that were all violent and um, et cetera, et cetera. And I, one, I, I think it works as a commentary about what Hollywood wanted out of black films during the nineties, but it's also really, really funny. It, when you consider uh, that she and Cuba Gooding Jr. had been in the movie together before a little film by John Singleton called boys in the hood. <laughs> which is oh, a violent, yeah. uh, hood film. Um, no, that had a lot to say about, you know, the violence, but uh, it, yeah, it, I just found that really, really like funny and interesting that these two characters are on screen again uh, together. And they include one of these scenes about other black films. Yeah. Just yeah. a little, little, little detail. Little um, oh, cool. Nice. So what are you going to recommend this week? Okay. This week I want to recommend an, an episode and we talked about it. Uh, I want to recommend episode three of last of us. I, I, I don't have any, I don't know why, but that episode just was perfect to me. It was amazing what they did. Now I, I played the game. So I, and a long time ago, so I need to go back and play it again. So, so that I can like find all these Easter eggs that they're putting in here and stuff. But what they they took the story from the game and they built a whole nother story around it and they gave it an entire episode. So this whole episode is not in the game, but the acting is so beautifully done and so delicate and and yet so aggressive at the same time. And and it, you're just with these two people almost the whole time. There's no zombies. There's, you know, the only it's just wonderful it's absolutely wonderful and probably my favorite episode of anything i've ever watched to be honest i just love it that much so yeah episode three of last of us just blow me away wow well done i'm gonna recommend a movie i saw a few days ago uh in the theaters and it's called close and so my favorite film from last year was a french film called petite maman Uh, i think it's streaming on hulu now and now my probably this is already in the running for favorite film of the year um is another french film this one one can um and it's so good and I, I one of the reasons i love it so much is it's everything that i really want to do in in film in every way like I, it was hard to point to something and say okay it's close but it doesn't do this or it does this and i don't want to do that it's it's intimate storytelling there's no establishing shots right you just kind of cut from scene to scene to scene um it doesn't like make use of traditional uh, filmmaking in terms of cinematography like it's a lot of handheld it's very uh personal there's no like master shot uh uh, mediums close-ups reverse inserts instead it's like no we're gonna put you right here with this character um, and we're gonna put you right with them again tomorrow like we're just gonna jump in between we're gonna let the audience 
understand what's happening emotionally instead of like telegraph everything that's happening. And it's understated. Uh, it, it really makes you engage with the characters and what they're thinking and experiencing. It, yeah, the, the camera moves are all motivated. It's a lot of naturalistic lighting and the camera never moves without a reason. It's not just, oh, this is a cool shot. They don't care about cool shots. They care about emotionally uh, capturing everything, honestly. Uh, and it's, so it's it's doing all these things that I just really, really love. And it's powerful. Like, uh, it, it has a very subtle power to it. Yeah, I just think it's absolutely wonderful. It's an actor's film as much as it's a writer's film and a director's film. Like, uh, I would put this as a director's film first, but the writing and the acting are absolutely, you know, amazing. And so, yeah, uh, that I could not love it more. And so close Le French film. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice. Stay tuned. Hopefully we can do this. Is it still playing in your city? Um, I'll look. Okay. I think so. Yes. Next week we'll probably be doing the whale. I, I have to wait. <laughs> Uh, the Whale, Darren Aronofsky's new film with Brendan Glazer, jeez, uh, uh, Fraser. Um, so yeah, check that out, and hopefully you can see it in theater as well. If not, uh, then we will just surprise you <laughs> with with whatever comes next. Uh, I know it's still playing here here in Austin, so hopefully it's uh, playing there. If not, uh, we're we're wanting to go on a, a, a decent run of current films, and so. Maybe we'll do something else like the menu. I know uh, we have some other uh, dandies coming up. And so, yeah, stay tuned for that. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, drop us a review and a subscription. We we got a new review up recently, and I will give that a shout out next week. I forgot to write it down, um, so I don't have it uh, queued up here. Uh, but yeah, we highly appreciate that. Anything that helps get the word out, it helps us get the more, look, the bigger our audience gets. The more it's easy, the easier it gets to pull in Cameron Crowe for for an interview. Like, hey, man, uh, we love your film. Why why did this happen? You know, and we would love to have those conversations that honor someone's craft as well as give them an opportunity to to maybe defend it and say, Wes, you're a dummy. Here's why this works. Um, and so, yeah, everything you do in terms of subscribing and reviewing really helps uh, build the show out. And so, yeah, we will definitely be doing the well next week. FYI. Uh, if you want to drop a note on this episode, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash Jerry Maguire. And our quote of the day, I, man, this is such a great quote <laughs> to go with what I just said right before we started. I don't even know who Phil, who's Phil Knight. Is he the, is he a coach, NBA coach? He is responsible for Nike, basically. Uh, that's the best oh. way to think of it. Like he got Jordan to, to be, you know, uh, the sponsor for Nike and Jordan. Okay. Uh, I think we've all heard of him. So, yeah. <laughs> Jordan, John Jordan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, this, uh, our quote of the day is from Phil Knight. The cowards, wow, it's so good. The cowards never started. And the weak died long along the way. That leaves us, ladies and gentlemen, us. So like you take that and you put that in any situation. Yeah, that's right. You, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's great. I don't even I don't even, I've already said what I wanted to say at the beginning of this podcast. It, it, it goes perfectly with this quote. So I'm just going to take this and write it down and leave it in my room. I love it. Like that's one of the other cool things about this movie is it's a guy who stood up for something he believed in 
left to start over again and he did it like we don't see the ultimate fruit of all that work um i wouldn't mind uh jerry mcguire too the mcguiring uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool as a motivational thing to be like, uh, you know what? It's okay to start something. I mean, I, I left a corporate career that I was building in order to be a filmmaker. And I still haven't really seen the fruit of that labor in terms of what I set out to build. Um, and you know what? Maybe I never will. Maybe this is just my Sisyphus act of I push this up the, the, the mountain because I that's what I do and until I can you know get over it that's all I'll continue to do uh, and I love seeing something like this that says it's okay to start over again and maybe it doesn't go the way you want you know what cowards never started anyway and yeah. everyone else who, who did and was weak they died they gave up um, and so you know what that's us everything else is us uh, we keep going. It doesn't matter uh, if, if we haven't arrived yet. We keep going because that's what we do. Uh. Yeah. So good. So good. Excellent. Thank you for that quote. Awesome. Uh, oh, and thank you guys for sticking with us. I know this was a long one, but we had a lot to say. And you know what? I think this episode was a little bit for us, too. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for sticking with us. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Please, like Wes said, subscribe, review, uh, get, leave us a review. It all it all matters. And if there's a film you'd like to, to see us do, please make a suggestion. Maybe we'll do it. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Go watch some movies.